0: Welcome to the New Books Network, Genocide Studies Podcast. Today, we will be discussing the book, Mass Violence in Nazi-Occupied Europe, edited by Alex J.K. and David Stahl. And Alex and David, would you like to introduce yourselves to the audience and tell us a little bit about where you work and what you focus on?
1: Yes, uh, by all means. Hello, Sasha. Um, yeah, I'm Alex and I teach at the University of Potsdam in Germany. And my main research interests are Nazi Germany extermination policies, including the Holocaust and genocide in general.
2: Uh, And I'm David. Uh, I uh, studied together with Alex at the Humboldt University. Um, We did our PhDs together, and that's how I know him. Uh, And I have always thought I kind of work well with Alex because we sort of complement each other very well. He focuses much more on... The Nazi Party, Nazi criminality, whereas my research interests have uh, been more military history and particularly the Wehrmacht and the Wehrmacht in the East. And I think in, if I could just say one thing about a book like this, um, those two skill sets I think used to be viewed as being sort of separate. and A lot of books were written separately around those topics. But I think younger scholars and really anyone who's well versed in this area now know that you really need to have a, a much more comprehensive knowledge of a lot of the literature that's out there, and that's why I think I've always worked well with Alex.
0: And so I guess this leads very nicely into why did you both decide to um, do an edited work of articles rather than writing a book together?
1: Good question. I think that's always the question history or one of the questions historians are faced with: whether to write a single author book or to pool the collective knowledge of experts working in the field and and put together a collection of essays like this. Um, I think that we wanted quite a broad approach um, covering various aspects of mass violence in Nazi-occupied Europe, and therefore we, we decided to approach people working on areas that we were aware of but hadn't perhaps carried out original research on ourselves and therefore it seemed the obvious thing to actually put together a collection of, of essays with authors um from yeah you know, different parts of the world you know germany israel the states um britain um rather than writing a single or a or a dual author
2: book One thing I would also add to that, and I remember actually the conversation very well in a Frankfurt pub, as so many good books start in pubs, and ours did too. Um, You know, one of the things that's nice to chat to Alex about is just the enormous amount of literature that gets produced in Germany and the very fine scholars that are here who in some cases really have no footprint in the Anglo-American world. And unless you have access to German, you really can't access these works. I mean – one of the things I noticed as a military historian is, is people are always asking, oh, well, what did Germans write about their military history? And, you know, military history in, in Germany has always been something of a, of a taboo subject, and not for the wrong reasons, not that I really want a taboo about it, but the the the, the issue is in the Third Reich it was uh, Hitler and, and so on who who forced onto the universities the idea of doing military history. So you can imagine after the war that became a taboo subject. Um Much of the rest of the engagement with Nazi past has not been subject to that. So Germans do an enormous amount of uh, work on the Third Reich and its first rate. And as I say, some of these authors have just never made it into English with their work. And I think that was part of that conversation. You know, we're talking about this person, that person. Not all the people we talked about and originally wanted to contribute to this in the end were able to. Um, but we certainly got a, a good crop of very fine historians and some of the work that's in here, you just simply cannot access, uh, in English. And that was very much part of the original concept. Again, like so many books, the, the, the idea did morph, um, you know, not everybody, as I say, said yes. And then you get other people who are hearing about the project and wanting to be involved with it. Um, and I think it came together really well. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like all books, there's always a bit of a story for how they start.
0: I think one of the strengths of this um, collected essays is it didn't come from conference papers or anything like that. Um, You guys had a kind of some specific things in mind and I think you did a very good job at, at gathering these different individuals to bring together. So even though it may not be um, one person writing the book or two people writing the book, there's a cohesiveness that is undeniable. So I wanted to ask you the hard question. Why did you choose to discuss this as mass violence rather than the Holocaust, rather than genocide, rather than ethnic cleansing?
1: A very good question Um, and and, and kind of a key question for the whole volume itself. Um, We have noticed over the years that there's some excellent work on different aspects of Nazi extermination policies, um, not least on the Holocaust, also on other areas, but very few works that actually look at Nazi extermination policies as a whole. Um, and during the Nazi period, particularly in the years 1939 1945, several groups, multiple groups were targeted by the Nazis. And this isn't a coincidence. And I think it really helps us to understand why that happened and how that happened by looking at these groups collectively. And therefore, we wanted to produce a book with a more integrative approach. Uh, and I think the, the, the framework of mass violence rather than only the Holocaust or specifically genocide allowed us to take this
2: broader, more integrative approach. I mean, if I could just add one thing to that, I think Alex is right. And I think the question's also a good one. I mean, you know, the Holocaust, when you think about it, is such a huge field and it seems to encompass so much. At the same time, though, it's a testament to just how much criminality existed in that state, in the Nazi state that, you know, that's certainly by no means all victims that are uh, come under that heading of the Holocaust. And, and one of the things I really like, and it's actually one of Alex's additions, is you know, when we sort of stood back and we're getting various contributors and, you know, as is the evolution with these kinds of books, you have contributors who say, yes, I'll do you a, a chapter on this, but then for whatever reason, you know, work and family and all the rest of it, people don't always produce those works. And at the end, you're sort of confronting a set of essays that you have to then put together as a as a collection. Now it was always the starting point that I think mass violence was something to do with what we wanted to uh, frame this collection around. But that's also a catch-all term because there's just so much criminality and we kept coming back to this idea of, well, what binds all this? And then I think, uh, as I say, you know, it's Alex kind of saying, well, um, we've, we've got this, we've got this phenomenon of criminality that encompasses so many specific areas. And then we started, you know, dividing up all our essays and we got a natural, um, way of looking at the essays that are sort of, you know, it's, it's, it's the subdivisions of the book, looking at part one, Holocaust, part two, Sinti, Roma, part three, useless eaters. Now, that's a term that the Germans, I don't know if that works so well for non-German speaking uh, Anglo-Americans, but that's a term that the Germans or the Nazi state used. And it does uh, speak to a subset of victims that are not Jews and not, they don't fit into all those classic uh, uh, you know categories of Nazi victims and yet there are sub You know sub, a subset that is Very large you can also talk about Wehrmacht criminality you can talk about the whole Idea of memorialization um, So all these different parts all these Different terms became parts of uh, the, the the book itself and the Various authors who were writing for us And so in some ways the book kind of developed a sort of Natural um, symmetry We had a whole lot of different people doing a whole Lot of different research but that spoke to mass mm. Violence and that's very much what we wanted
0: I was hoping you could explain to um, our listeners how you decided to divide up the book and give us maybe some highlights from each of the sections so that they can have a better idea what the collection of essays comprises as a whole. I think you have,
1: we definitely had, we started with broad areas that where we said, if we're going to do a collection of essays on mass violence, it has to cover these bases. We have to include um, certain topics because the the vital to understanding how violence worked in Nazi Germany and how um, certain areas of the Nazi state, and particularly in the occupied territories, they were saturated with violence. Uh, and so we said, um, clearly, we need to address the different aspects of the Holocaust. And we ended up with three chapters on that area. Um, Clearly, we need to address the camps you know concentration camps, yes, but also p o w camps um, psychiatric wards where the mentally and physically disabled were were murdered. so I think we had a broad idea of yes, this needs to be in there and and then the next step was to approach people. So to ask ourselves, okay, who are the leading names in in the field in these areas, particularly people who are maybe not so well known uh, among English speaking readers, and 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 then beyond that, you're to some extent um, dependent on whether these people agree to to write for you and uh or whether they have time and I think time is a big question everybody seems to be busy in our field and I think we gave a a, a generous deadline but not not everybody was was able to contribute that we would have perhaps liked but as as david said earlier we've, we've certainly got uh, we certainly were able to put a group of people together who are experts in their in their respective fields uh and they contributed i think very different
2: but exciting chapters on the various areas. I might also just go back to something I said before about, uh, you know, the idea was I think originally very much focused on, let's try and get leading names in German historiography to contribute to this, and and that really speaks to two things. First of all, the quality of the work they do, uh, the amount of work, and the fact that there's remarkably, for some of these people, very little of their work in English. Not everybody uh, who we asked, and we asked quite a lot of people, um, could do that, and we were even offering the translation and all the rest of it. So, you know, it, you know, some of these people are just very eminent, very busy. No, no, no question. Um, but not everybody could contribute and in the end we end up with some people just in deference to what Alex just said we, we did end up with some people who are known in the Anglo-American world and indeed their main works like Waitman Bourne is in English and Martin Dean has got uh, work on the police battalions in English and is you know well known he's at the, uh, the Holocaust Memorial Museum in Washington or was at that uh, museum um, so you know like the, the book like so many it, it evolves um, but you know I really think what's what what really struck me in doing the volume and in reading these chapters as they would come in was uh, the ubiquitous nature of the the violence. and um, you know it, it's really a radicalization as you know historic, uh, Holocaust historians have been writing for decades. It's really a radicalization from uh, above and also from below, but you, you just see how unrestrained on so many levels. The, the violence is the 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 willingness to engage in this, the variety of victims, and the complete lack of uh, restraint. Uh, and that's something that it comes through again and again in these chapters, um, and often so to the detriment of the Nazi state. They they they, they are killing people who they often need, um, and uh, you know so that's that's one of the things that very much struck me about the uh, the, 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 the the process of putting the book together. Um Maybe because you did ask about uh, you know giving some sort of specific in- examples of some of our of our contrib- contributors, what they've been writing about. Um, but one of the things I might start with uh, is the um, the chapter that Alex and I did because I think it provides a very good example of where the respective skill sets in this area are perhaps best um, illustrated. I mean, In a field like Nazi Germany with such an enormous literature, it's, I think, a very bold historian who says, oh, yeah, I'm across everything because the the archival uh, material is so vast. And even just frankly, the secondary literature today has become so vast that anyone who claims they're across all of it, I'm always a little bit skeptical unless they're in their 80s. And I could probably name a, a handful of historians who I might halfway believe that. Um, but pretty much anyone else is playing catch up, um, and I think knowing that makes you a, a better historian. But uh, for a lot of these topics, they are also enormous. So, for example, Alex and I wrote about um, criminality on the German army of the German army in the East. Now, that's a topic that's had a huge amount of literature on it. So, what are we really going to contribute in ten thousand words? Um, it's not some kind of rehash. What we started to discover, and this is the this is the me being a military historian and Alex being much more uh, a, a historian of Nazi genocide. Is that I kept saying to Alex, I see time and again instances where people are dying in the East as a result of German army actions, but those actions aren't in the first instance intended to kill people, but that's the result of the action. And Alex would then pick up these points and talk to them. In more detail. So, to give you an example, uh, we all know about the sort of classic first class uh, criminality of the Wehrmacht shooting or assisting the Einsatzgruppen to shoot Jews, anti partisan operations, the Commissar order. These are well known. This is not what we're talking about. There's a whole subset of criminality that is looking at what, to what extent does the average German soldier have culpability for criminality? And The ways that I would notice that following my operational histories was, well, how do you sustain a German army in the east when they have a a very high demand for fuel and ammunition? So where do they get their food from? Well, they're living off the land. What is the implication of that when you watch unit after unit after unit go into very small, very poor um, uh, communities and take everything they've got? It gets to a point where... They think when they get into these communities, oh, these, these Slavs are holding back food from us. We'll go searching and find it. So they start tearing the houses apart. And sure enough, they do find food because these people are trying to survive over a very, very long cold winter. Uh, and once they find that, they take that. Um, so what's the implication for that? Well, we all know about mass starvation. At the same time, we don't know about mass starvation because there's nobody in a lot of these communities to write the records, to provide a record, but that's an implication of German soldier action. Same thing happening when they get to the winter. They're starting to take the uniforms. Same things happen when they're in the winter and they're kicking people out of the homes. What are the implications? Large numbers of people dying. This is because of German soldier behavior, but this is not classically what we discuss in German army criminality. So Alex and I have sort of come up with this idea, well, there's a subcategory, a sort of secondary nature of criminality that doesn't, because there is so much criminality in, it, in all these other regards, it doesn't really get much space in the discussion. And yet who knows how many hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of Soviets die as a result of this kind of behavior. Um, and that deserves some sort of um, illumination. And I think if I could just say one more quick thing, uh, maybe I'll, I'll hand back to Alex. I don't know if you've got any more you, you want to add. But a lot of the chapters are talking about very specific things, but these things tangibly expand our uh, knowledge of the criminality and the number of victims who are suffering as a result of this. Do you want to add anything else,
0: Alex? Nope,
1: no.
0: No. Okay. Good. Um, I think one of the the other great accomplishments that you've both achieved with this book is you're not only pushing the boundaries of where German criminality is taking place but you are taking it out of Germany, you're taking it out of Poland, you're taking it out of France, and you're dealing with other Nazi-occupied countries in Europe that are not very heavily discussed in the historiography. Um, was this your intention, or is it also just the luck of who was writing for you?
1: No, that was very much our intention. Uh, it's no coincidence that uh, a substantial proportion of our chapters focus on the German-occupied Soviet territories, uh, for the simple reason that um, the level of violence there um, goes beyond anything else in in German-occupied Europe. Um, So many of the major mass murder programs, uh, forced labor programs, etc., took place in in Ukraine, in Belarus, in the Baltic states, in, in Russia proper. So that, that was very much intentional, also because we think that certainly in the English uh, language literature, these crimes and, and, and these territories uh, are underrepresented. Um, we don't know enough collectively about the suffering of the Soviets, Um it's believed that at least 27 million Soviets died at the hands of the Germans uh, during the years 1941 to 1944. Um, but who knows this? You know, who knows this in the English-speaking world? Um, or that the Soviet prisoners of war, more than 3 million of them, died in German captivity, in Wehrmacht captivity. and that, That's the second largest group uh, of of. Of Nazi mass murder after the European Jews and, and therefore yes it was it was very intentional that that we focused so much attention on uh, the Soviet territories in particular.
2: I think the other thing I would just say to that is I mean we shouldn't think of all of this And our introduction really does go after this. This is not all about history part of the thing that I find that I'm constantly battling against in talking to undergraduates but also just you know lay people who ask me what I do for a job is this isn't all, you know, we talk about the, the war years, but this has such a resonance in the modern world, especially in Eastern Europe. I mean, in fact, I was reading in the paper this morning about Poland and, uh, and Russia just having a big dispute, uh, an international dispute right now because the Polish uh, prime minister is not going to Yad Vashem to, to talk and, 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 and this is basically a dispute about the events of World War II. So, you know, there's a very contemporary res- re- resonance for this. And as much and as we think this is German history, there's collaborators in all of these countries and how those countries now deal with that is, is very much the subject of part of this book. I mean, the part five memorialization, we have Ilya Altman who talks about how Russia is coping with the Holocaust in a modern sense. Probably a better way of putting that is not coping with it, not dealing with it, obfuscating that, 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 that role where Russians are involved. Ukrainians are doing the same things. Uh, and then we've got David Katz talking about the Baltic uh, movement to obfuscate the Holocaust. Uh, and he has some very poignant uh, uh, discussions there of very much recent events that show just how difficult it is for uh, for modern governments and uh, other political entities in these uh, in these states to deal with their very real complicity in this mass violence. Um, so in some ways, yes. The book is uh, mainly about the events of uh, 1941, 1944, uh, or 45 in some cases, uh, but to no small extent, this has a huge resonance in the modern world. And that's why this introduction, when we sort of, we sort of opened up, we thought, do we do the classic approach of doing a, a big, long historiographical essay and reviewing a lot of the literature in the field? We did another book a couple of years ago on Nazi policy uh, in 1941, and we did – very much that kind of introduction, but we thought for this one, let's really try and front and centre make that point about this being a very contemporary issue. So there's much more discussion about how have a lot of these issues resonated in the last few years politically, but also the fact that this isn't really a process that, that that's at an end, partly because there's a huge amount of material still being discussed, uh, still being discovered. Um, and, and we talk about a lot of that, a lot of this this new material that's been coming out only really in the last five to ten years, um, which in some cases tangibly changes what we've understood. So it's very much a, a process that's alive. It's alive in terms of the the evolution of the, the the story, building those narratives, but it's very much alive in terms of the people who are choosing to interpret them, uh, both uh, historians. Sometimes I would put historians in inverted commas because I don't think they are historians. They are trying to come up with a political agenda justified in history, but there's plenty of you know people especially in modern day uh, modern day western world who who have an agenda, a political agenda that seeks to sometimes manipulate this past so it's 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 more poignant than ever I think that we try and get that record right.
0: I think this is a very forward thinking book, and I know that um, historians are are always a little uneasy to to talk about the present or even the future. But you guys have provided such strong groundwork to do this that I think there's the historiography's got to change. One of the the things that you mentioned in your introduction that will later become evident um, in one of the articles that just kind of stopped me in my tracks is, um, in many ways, therefore, Eastern Europe's struggles with its own criminal paths, both Nazi and Soviet, is best summed up as a battle for history in which truth is malleable. And I think a lot of people can identify with that still going on today. And then also outside of Europe as well. Um, Are there some other things that, uh, Dave, you mentioned that there's new sources coming out all the time. Is there something that you would have liked to include it in this book, but it, it didn't make it, but maybe in the future that something will come out of it.
2: Um, oh, I don't know in terms of new sources coming out. I mean, I, again, when one thinks about the enormity of uh, this process, and I think it's difficult for lay people to really understand what that means. But, I mean, if I think about my archive down in Freiburg, I mean, that's just one archive, right? It's the German military archive, and the Wehrmacht was an enormous organization of 18 million men. Think about how much paper that generates. I mean, for any book I write, I'm down there multiple times and I don't have to come all the way from Australia, so I know how far that trek is, but it's it's weeks at a time to be there and it's a phenomenal amount of paper which I can never hand on heart say for any one of my books, oh, I read everything in the period of that book because there's just so much. That's true of uh, the Nazi state in any area you go to. In fact, some of the books, if you bother bothered to, you know, I'm always telling my undergraduates to do this, to flick to the back of the book and have a look at the uh, the the bibliography or the, uh, the, the section of, of archival research and see how many archives do some of these people go to. It's not uncommon. One of my recent students, PhD students, went to, I think, 30-plus archives. So there's an enormous range of different places to triangulate any one of these very complex areas. And the more specific we become, the more that research process comes into play because there's you know, unlike me, there's not just one central archive where I can go to and get almost everything I need. It's much more a process of, uh, and probably Alex can speak to this because his book on uh, Filbert, uh, which was a, an group in, um Gruppen uh, commander, uh, required much more research and trying to find and look at all kinds of different follow-up, all kinds of cold leads. And I m- remember for years hearing this story of uh, being on the, the sort of the trail of, um, of Filbert. Um, but at the end, you, you, you go through this process, you find all these things. So some of these documents that we're finding, I mean, one of them that we, we talk about, and it's by no means even the most important, but it was literally just someone who wanted to say, well, we're in Budapest, we'd like to make a hole in that wall, but At some point, they had uh, someone in the war had gathered up some six and a half thousand documents that they knew would be of interest to historians, but no ability to protect them. And basically what they did was they, they put them in this wall. And it was only by, you know, no one knew they were there. Someone in happenstance just decided, well, let's put a hole in that wall, found all these documents, and they would speak to a very specific part of one country, of one set of victims, of one area, of an enormous story for the Holocaust. Um, I, I certainly have no expertise to speak to that, but we can definitely say that's an important source. Um, yeah.
1: um Although we, we work in the field of history, it's nonetheless the case that um, there are constant new developments in, in, the, in the sense of new studies being written, uh, new documents being unearthed, as we discussed in the introduction to our volume. And this means that the publication's are in a lot of cases very quickly no longer at the, at the cutting edge. Um, but looking at our volume, I don't feel that there's anything I would have liked to have had in there that we haven't got in there. Uh, we've realized that you can't do everything with a single volume, a single volume, but I think, uh, we, we achieved what we set out to achieve, um, with, with this book. And so I think we're both very happy with that, uh, with the final product. Just to come back to what you said, Natasha, about um, history being, when you quoted from our introduction, history being used for political reasons. um, Yeah, we mentioned this earlier. this This is definitely one of the reasons we felt a book like this would be very timely. And I can't help but think that across Europe, And in other parts of the world, also in the United States, many, many people have forgotten recent history, Uh, some of them intentionally, but many of them may be unintentionally simply because they're not aware of what happened 75 years ago and more. And therefore, I think it's always important to remind people because many of the Political issues of our time uh, have have so much to do with our recent past with history, a failure to understand history, um, a very unfortunate ability to forget history or misinterpret it so for that reason, I think historians do have
2: a very important job to do I, I would just add one thing to that look forgetting history is definitely a possibility, and you know each new generation needs to be. Educated in these areas, what particularly worries me is how people who are not young people um, have uh, very warped understandings of just exactly what took place in, in inside their own countries. Um, and you know, I think that's that's yes, in part, what I think our book would like to address. At the same time, I'm also aware with a book like this, with the title that it has even a, even the cost that it has, the people who will be reading this are, are not people like that, right? But what we've got to try and transcend, what I think the real challenge for historians is, is to not necessarily keep writing books that are only for fellow academics so that we can make that next evolution. Yes, in part, that's part of what we would like to do. These, these are very, very targeted, very, very good, very, very well-researched uh, articles that will contribute to a lot of those areas. It also gets, as we said, German, uh, you know, very high-class German uh, works into an anglo-american audience but i think the challenge that we've really got to try and meet and, and partly this you know interview and, and and many others is now trying to provide engagement much uh, larger engagement i think that's got to become more and more part of the, the academic role because it's no good for us to all know what went on and to be up with the latest literature it's about school kids it's about everyday people it's particularly about um, getting, I think, good journalism out there. Journalism is obviously a dying craft, and and more and more into political parties. Make them responsible for what they say, not just at the at the polling booth, but make them responsible by getting historians to write when they just manipulate or they they you know, all these shades of grey around exactly what words they use, and this is becoming. Very apparent in the last five years. This is a real problem for our field. And I think first and foremost, it's got to be historians holding these people to account in any way publicly that we possibly can. That's a real onus of responsibility. Otherwise, we're all left knowing what we know, and we may be right, but that doesn't help, Um, especially when there's you know social media that allow anyone to consume whatever politics they like in their own echo chamber with no corrective. We've got to get that corrective out there. Because we're kind of losing the battle. It feels to me like we're, we're, we're sort of more and more percentages of people in various places, some countries better than others. And actually, Germany's very good in that regard. Germany's very well educated in its past. And partly, that's also laws around uh, what one can and cannot say here. I'm not proposing those laws for other countries. At the same time, uh, they've worked very well in Germany in terms of, you know, you can't deny the Holocaust here and, and other countries you can. And look where that's taken them. So we've got to stand up, we've got to have a responsibility, and I think historians have got to be, you know, very much a part of that. Just writing for each other is, is for me, no option.
0: I think it's great that you have that larger picture in mind because that's kind of what the New Books Network is trying to do is to reach beyond the ivory tower and these academics who just speak to each other Um I want to commend you on your introduction because not only did you provide a, an important framework and context for the the articles that are to follow, but you did it with uh, enough of your own voices and restraint to let the articles then speak for themselves. And It's kind of hard to find edited books where the editors aren't inserting how to think about each section on as they go. So thank you for um, your restraint, but your powerful words at the beginning. Thank you. Yeah, no, that's great to hear. We, we did
2: debate it at length. As I said, I, we were considering a sort of classic histori- historiographical essay on, you know, decades of, of, of evolutions in the historiography, but uh, ended up going with something more like this, which now, I, I think, you know, I, I'm glad you say that, but I, I think you're also right. I think that is the, the, you know, one of the things I would like to take away from the book and Motivation.
1: Yeah, thank you for those comments, Natasha. I think we we definitely did uh, set out to give our contributors, our authors, a broad remit. You know, we did we did approach them with specific topics in mind, um, but we wanted to to let them do the writing, and I think we achieved that. Um, and it's also an, an an approach I, for example, take in in teaching that sometimes students to come to me who who to supervise their bachelor theses or master theses. And um, one of their first questions is, um, are you going to give me a topic? Not because they want me to give them a topic, but because uh, in Germany, often that's expected that the professor gives the students topics. But I actually say to them, well, I don't think it's going to benefit either of us if you write your thesis on a topic that you're not really um, interested in so much. Uh, that's that's you're not going to write a good thesis if if it's a topic that I've thrust on you, uh, and therefore I say you know I'm I'm here to guide you I'm here to advise you but ultimately I, I want you to write a thesis that um, that excites you that that, that you're invested in. Um, so I, I think it's always better for the the person doing the writing to to actually uh, come up with the, the bulk of the ideas themselves rather than having these ideas thrust on them.
0: So I was hoping that um, both of you could talk about what you're currently working on, or any future books or research that you are planning.
1: Uh, yes, it's a, a quite a straightforward question for me, and, and very much related to the, the book we've been discussing um, over the past half an hour or so. I decided to to pick up on this collection of essays and, and run with it, and, and actually write a a single author book on. A history of Nazi mass killing, so really an, an intricate, integrative work on all of the major killing programs, um, of course, the Holocaust, but also the genocide of Sinti and Roma, um, the elimination of the Polish elites, the murder of psychiatric patients the starvation of Soviet prisoners of war and uh, broad sections of the Soviet's urban population and uh, the victims of the, the brutal anti-partisan operations because, surprisingly, a book like this doesn't actually exist. So I'm currently under contract with Yale University Press to to write that book, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's going well. I'm making progress.
2: I think it's kind of in- interesting if I can just pick that up. Part of the reason I said to Alex when he was talking about that as an idea is I thought – You know, if all of these areas are discussed separately and they have their own analysis, but their analysis is geared very much to that area of Nazi criminality, it's interesting to think, wow, there's all these connected and related areas of this, uh, you know, mass murder. Um, What do we learn by putting them all together in one sort of narrative and then standing back and saying, well, what do we learn from that? So I'm kind of keen to see where that book goes and and read it myself. Um, myself, I'm working on, well, I just had a book that came out uh, end of uh, 2019. So Retreat from Moscow, it's basically looking at, it's it's more an operational history. Uh, but my next project is, um, uh, I think, one that's uh, going to be very interesting for me, because it's, yes, dealing with the sort of the the, the, the area I'm, I'm often working on, which is the Wehrmacht's War in the East. But I'm I've got the private letters of four German generals, and I'm doing, ai guess, a, a social study of these men. Um, I say social study because I'm still trying to work out what exactly is this, but what is clear to me is, yes, it's the classic, I would like to know about um, German military operations and what they understand that to be, because these letters are something that we've never seen before. We know what these men thought from their orders in World War Two or their post-war... Uh, writings where they try to sell themselves as something very different. Those are the two basic source materials we have. Without having really ever looked at these um, letters, and that might sound interesting to some of your readers, like how come no one's ever looked at them, but a lot of them were written in a handwriting that people can't read anymore. So, uh, Deutsche Schrift or or Zittelen, so believe it or not, there used to be a different alphabet that people wrote in. And so a lot of historians can't access these. Um, And uh, looking at what's written in those letters, myself, I I wasn't sure what was in them, and you realize there's a huge amount of of honesty in there. And I think that speaks to not just the military history that these men are so obviously involved with, but the whole of the Nazi state. How are they representing what's going on in the East to their wives? And uh, at this point, I'll just leave that open. Um, I'm I'm still... uh, working on, as I say, what the book will be, but it's going to speak to a lot more than just military history. It's obviously looking at criminality as well.
0: Well, I wanted to thank you both. This has been a a very um, enlightening and uh, pleasurable interview considering there's two of you on one side and I can see how well you work together. And I look forward to hearing from both of you separately or as together um, in the future. So keep Uh, the New Books Network and and the podcast in mind. Alex and David, I, I really appreciate you taking your time and discussing this with me. And I look forward to hearing from you in the future.
1: Thanks very much. Thank you very much for the opportunity, Natasha. It was great talking to you again.